They keep asking who I am, I just tell them I'm a Christian Occupation, a description, I just tell them I'm a Christian Nationality, ethnicity, I tell them I'm a Christian Keep the hyphens in division, I just tell them I'm a Christian Welcome to the Savage Truth Podcast. This is Pastor Roy Dockery. Thank you for joining us again today on another episode of the Savage Truth Podcast. Um, What we're going to bring to you today is actually a sermon that I preached in Aurora, Colorado on October 6, 2019. So first of all, right out the gate, want to apologize for any any weirdness as far as um, like weird cuts and shifts. Uh, This is audio pulled from cell phone video footage so there are some you know some some inconsistencies a little breaks here and there so i try to clean up the audio as much as possible um so just know that this is is kind of chopped so anyone especially who attended the um the the sermon in person you will note that there are some areas missing that were missed in the video but i tried to pull it together to get a concise um just to get a concise synopsis of the entire thing so um the title of this sermon is Testify to Bring God Glory, and I hope you enjoy. Um, thank you for all of those who support. Thank you for all of those who continue to share and um, and just to, to contribute, um, whether it's sharing on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook, different social media outlets, um, those who continue to visit the website and share the website, RoyDockery.org, those who support the ministry on Faith Ministries um, and the things that we do in the community, the things we do for families and in the outreach aspect of our ministry as well. So we just want to say thank you. Um, I hope you enjoy the sermon. It'll be kind of a, a break from the normal discussion. And um, obviously, have an opportunity to share the gospel and what it is that I love about Jesus. So hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us. This is the Savage Truth Podcast with Pastor Roy. Um, because the word savage means untamed and uncivilized. I think to be nice and to, to stop from creating conflict, like our truth has become watered down, right? But the yeah. truth in itself yeah. and the way that it's presented, the reality of what it is, yes. it's savage, right? Because compared to society... What Jesus says is untamed. Right. Come on now. Compared to what people want to be acceptable, what Jesus does is uncivilized. Right. So, savage truth. In that same vein, like when, when, I, when I talk about savage truth and whenever I'm presenting things and it's like, I'm just trying to understand like, okay, how can I get the message out as clear as humanly possible? So, there's a lot of times in church we talk about miracles. And we, a lot of times we talk about miracles and we talk about the power of Christ and how like he began his ministry right and then drove the gospel by going out and performing miracles. So today I want to talk about a miracle, but I want to actually talk about the man's testimony who got the miracle. Yeah. Right. And not just the miracle in itself. I think a lot of times we look at miraculous things as snapshots in time and we don't understand that that miracle puts that person on a path to now have a testimony that reflects God in the way that nobody else can. Okay. But we, we stop at that point. Yes. Right. Like we're like, oh, they got a blessing or, you know, they, they didn't die or they saw the, the white light. But it, that's not the importance of it. It's OK. How does that miracle now help you? Position the gospel so that people understand God's glory through your life. Go back to verse 42. We see it says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. How many people in here have actually looked up a picture of leprosy by a show of hands? Raise your hands if you've actually ever seen leprosy. 
All right, so those of you who have not, uh, if, don't Google it if you've eaten recently. Right? Leprosy is like sores and boils, and, and a lot of times it causes deformity because, like, the body basically attacks itself. People's arms fall off, their limbs fall off, their ears fall off, their fingers fall off. Like, leprosy is something that if you saw it, and for anyone here who watched, I've never watched it, but I've seen the commercials, like, and my brother's in film, so he's like, it's like the walking dead. Like, that's what leprosy looks like, because people are physically dying. Like, their flesh is dying, their body is dying, their organs are dying. That's what the disease is doing to them. And this is what leprosy is. And when Jesus spoke to this man and said, be clean, it was immediately gone. So literally imagine somebody that looks like a dead zombie. Jesus speaks, and then he looks like me. Healthy, right? The person who knew you yesterday knew you as a leper. And you were on the outside, on the outskirts, and people didn't touch you. So now you have leprosy, and not regardless of why people know, but at least now you're more attractive to people because the way that you look isn't repulsing them. Yeah. Right? So the position that you're in isn't repulsive to them because how many of us have people that, and we were talking about this earlier, I'm like, how many people, we can just easily look at them, and we have a lot of times tendencies as a Christian to say, I can tell I'm better than them. Right, like, I, I, can, I can see their problems, right? I saw him stumbling drunk. I saw her coming out of his place. I saw what they were doing on social media. I can see the tattoos that reflect their past. I can see all these things that are very apparent and very, you know, just in your face. It's right there. And then people use that to judge you and it repulses you from them. Like, uh, I don't know. But Jesus said, be clean, and immediately that man became attractive. That's right. Right? All of his natural things were restored. The beauty of how God made him was restored, right? Because that's how Jesus functions. Nice. But the funny thing is Jesus was like, don't just go running telling everybody. He said he sternly <laughs> told him, please follow the rules, go to the church, right. provide your offering. Right. But he didn't listen. Yes. But we, we know Jesus is God, right? Yes. Isn't, isn't God all-knowing? Yes. So Jesus told him what to do and knew he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Right? So he was like, I know the first person you're going to run into because everybody used to avoid you. Everybody used to step to the other side of the street. You weren't even allowed in the regular parts of town. Right. So I know as soon as the first person who doesn't wince in response to your presence, you're going to be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> this guy named Jesus just told me to be clean. Right. So in that, we have to understand that our visual, the way that our brains function, right, we like visual results. Right. So when something's happened in your life, when your testimony has transformed your life in a way that when people who saw you in a broken state can now visibly see and measure where you were and where God brought you from. Right. That's attractive. Yes. Right. Yes. Because people like results. If you were on the streets and you got a house, then people be like, praise the Lord. Yeah. Right? If you were sick and now you have health, people were like, praise the Lord. If you were right. if you were down and you were broken and you were depressed and now you have peace, people are like, praise the Lord. When you had anxiety and now you're fine, people say, praise the Lord. But that's only the things that we can see. Right? right? So some of the miraculous things that, that, that God does do, right, that provides us an opportunity to be able to show people tangible places where we've moved, yes. that makes the gospel attractive. Right. Because people like results. Right. Yes, it's how we think. It's how we function. So just right. an example, like my team at work, you know, we, we all work together. We're a relatively close family. So we all went on a keto diet. <laughs> oh, and everybody loved diets. But when you tell somebody you're on a diet, 
they look for results, right? So, so we had one guy on our team that started to diet first, and he came to a meeting because we all work around the country, and he he looked he looked different, right? It was a little attractive. We were like, hold on, brother, what you what you been doing? Like, you look well. Like you've been exercising. He was like, nah, man, I just been on keto diet. I've been eating meat, bacon, and no vegetables. We were like, you know what? That sounds like something that could work. Uh, so literally, my entire team went on the keto diet because of the results that we saw in him. It was attractive. None of us want to exercise. We all travel, and every restaurant I go to has meat and bacon, so I can make this work. So my team did it, and everybody lost weight. People lost like hundreds of pounds on my team, and then most of us were like, oh, we like biscuits, so we ain't worried about the keto diet. <laughs> right, but people saw the results and it drew, it drew attention to it. So now we were un unconsciously, we were spreading the gospel of keto. We didn't realize that everybody else around the building started going on the keto diet. <laughs> so we have a meeting and everybody's just eating meat and bacon. We're like, everybody's on this diet now? But it was attractive to people because one, we spoke about the reality of it and people could see the results. Right, you have Dave Ramsey, financial peace, right? People start going on envelopes, they get a budget, people see your finances get better, they see you no longer stressing, and then they wanna know what you're doing with your, with your finances. People start exercising, people start doing CrossFit, you see them improve their health. Like, we see results and it makes us, it makes whatever they're doing, whatever they're evangelizing, attractive. All right, all right. Come on. So our, but why, why doesn't our Christianity look attractive? Come on now, come preach it. If I love Jesus and it's producing results, then why aren't other people around me wanting to love Jesus? Yes, yes, say that. Come on. Right, like, see, this is what I said I like to do. I like to take simple things and then I draw a line. Because then you're like, dang, that's right. I don't know why. Everybody asked me that question, but ain't nobody asked me about Jesus because we don't testify. That because a lot of us came up in revival culture, because like me and Corey who've done urban outreach for years, we're always doing gang intervention. A lot of people feel like their 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 testimony isn't attractive if they're not in the 20%. If they're not in the 10% that did really well and that God's doing miraculous things through, or if they're not the 10% that's still at the bottom, that's still struggling, and you can see their struggle, right? The 80% of people in the middle who are fine, who aren't incarcerated, who aren't dealing with addiction, who, who, have, who are going through and are kind of back to the point where they're dealing with what you would consider regular problems, we almost feel like our testimony isn't effective. Right, so when God first, that's why like new Christians are so excited because they just came out of the fire yeah. yes. and God polished them all. So you want to tell everybody about where you just came from. But then five years goes by and 10 years goes by and you, you had a little sickness. You, you know, you did some stuff at work. You kind of got through it. You worked through problems in your marriage. You got counseling from your church, but we don't talk about that. And that's what 80% of the population is dealing with. So testifying to bring God glory, it's not just the extremes on one end or another. It's just not that God miraculously deleted something off your credit report or that, you know what I mean, like something amazing happened when you just got out of prison. That's, honestly, that's most un, that's unrelatable to most people. Most people go to work every day. Most people are trying to pay their bills. Most people are dealing with their children's education. Most people are trying to, you know, get their health together, trying to manage their finances, trying to do something with their budget, trying to be successful at their job, trying to be servants in their church. But we tend to we tend to glorify in the church the testimonies that are on one extreme or the other. Yeah. But those testimonies don't work in the world. See, huh? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, you 
Come right, on. that's funny. When somebody doesn't believe in the supernatural thing and the only testimonies you tell are the ones that seem unbelievable, right. then you leave the rest of the people out. But there's so many other people who have testimonies that we choose to not share mm -hmm. because we don't think that they're attractive. Uh, right. We don't think they're important. We don't think they're significant. So second point, your testimony makes you a target. In verse 43, it said, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. He knew that once people identified him as the man that was going to be a leper, one, people were going to question if he followed the process of receiving a cleansing. So did you go to the church and do what you're commanded to do under the law of Moses? So instead of, he, he already knew, instead of some people recognizing the miraculous thing that just happened, some people going to ask you if you did the church thing. Right. So he knew the church was going to come after you after you started claiming you had a miracle. See, you got real quiet right there. Because it's the world we expect to come after us. Often it's more Christians that will question what you claim Jesus did to you than people who are not Christians. If they don't understand the timing, if they don't understand the purpose, we sit around all day on social media and everywhere else, Christian hating on what everybody else is doing. Well, Constantly. Yeah. Because your testimony makes you a target. Somebody shares something on social media yes, and you, and yes. uh, what is the progressive commercial says? Stop hate liking. Yeah. Stop hate liking other people's posts. Yeah. Right? Like somebody sharing something about a blessing, somebody sharing something about their marriage, somebody sharing something about an experience that they had, and you genuinely have people that are out there that are either trying to figure out a way to discredit what you're saying, yeah. they're trying to figure out a way to assassinate your yeah, character, right. they're, trying to they're trying to figure out a way to minimize what yeah. you're saying God is doing in your life because yeah. they automatically want to undercut what you're what you're trying to give God glory for. Mm -hmm. that's because that's how we think. Mm -hmm. right. right? It's the sinful nature that we have that makes us want to question whether or not all good things come from God. Uh -huh. Right? We fail to share our testimony sometimes, right? Because we're afraid. And when I say it makes it a target, if you say God delivered me from something, mm -hmm. then you just got people waiting for you to fall again. That's right. Come on. Right, so God delivered you from addiction? Okay. Let's see how long this lasts. Come on now. We've been doing it to Kanye West for like three weeks now. God saved you. Really? Where we at, Christians? Good, bad, or indifferent, right? Like, man, it was like, I love Jesus. Everybody was like, nope, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to wait for this to fail. First thing on my timeline this morning was like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like we did. It's just like, mm, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But again, but it was because of his testimony. If he stayed quiet, we wouldn't know. Yeah. And that's bold in itself to stand up and say, yes, I'm going to walk for Jesus because now everybody's watching your walk. Before you made that statement, we were all quiet about his life. Come on. Yeah. Now everybody got a comment. Most of you ain't said about Kanye since the name Jesus walks. Come on now. But he testified and became a target. Right? Because, and that's why some people don't testify because if it's not real, and this is the situation Brother Kanye in right now, if it's not real. You gonna be in for it if you if you go sideways if something go the wrong way right because a lot of times we don't testify because we're afraid that we'll get caught going back into our old habits and behaviors and it'll ruin our ability to witness the gospel. Amen. 
So if I tell you God's given me insight on the fact that I speak to people a certain way or I'm short with people and then you're like, oh man, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, God's working through me and it's just been hitting me in my prayer time. And then the next time y'all go out to eat, you snap at the waitress on, at Waffle House. That's just, that just devalues your testimony, right? But that's why a lot of times we don't share things. That's why a lot of times, you know, we tuck our, we tuck our cross in when we go to work. Because I might have to get rough with somebody today and I don't want them to know. It's gonna get serious. And so just to give you an example, like, you know, like I wear I wear these t-shirts and I, a lot of stuff that I wear and own says I'm a Christian on it. That's the shirt that's out there. So I'm in Seattle. We're at a, we had a meeting out in Seattle. I catch an Uber at like 3.45 in the morning because my flight was at 5 a.m. and the airport's like 45 minutes away. I come down toting my luggage. I'm a Christian t-shirt on. 3.45 a.m. Uber driver. And the Uber driver, an uh, older lady, she gets out, she pops the trunk on her, on her, on her car, she comes around the corner and sees my t-shirt. She's like, she was like, oh, amazing, me too. And she was like, I'm pretty sure this is about to be my first and best ride of the day. So we get in the car and she shares her testimony. Just, I just had on a shirt that said I'm a Christian and she shared her testimony about how she grew up in the Catholic church, was molested by the, um, the father of the, of the child that she babysat and, and it pushed her into being promiscuous and seeking attention from older men so the church kicked her out. So she spent her entire life chasing adulterous relationships because that's the only way she knew, um, the only way she knew to find love. That's the only way a man had ever showed her value. And the church kicked her out for it. But then she said she had a friend that kept inviting her to church. And then she said she went to church, she got saved, she got baptized, and she said she was in an adulterous relationship the day she got baptized. And she wow. said when she, she said she left, she slid, and she said, I've never done it again. She was like, just that, she was like, just that power. She said, I felt so convicted because the spirit of God was in me. She was like, I've been single for the last like five or six years. She was like, I have no desire to do anything but to talk to people about Jesus. She was like, thank you for wearing that shirt. She was like, where can I get one? And like, give me your address, I'll mail you one. Right, but it's just simple things like sharing that testimony. Like her testimony is what drives her to ride around in a car all day. Cause she's a retired chef, does not like an executive chef, does not need to work at all. But she just rides around listening to gospel music. And she said, anytime somebody asks me about the song, I talk to them about Jesus. That's all she do. Just ride an Uber all day. And when somebody's like, I really like that music. And she said, people will be in the car and they're frustrated and they have arguments with people on the phone. And she'll be like, I don't want to get in your business, but do you mind if I pray for you right now? Right, so in that simple thing, this woman that's just, she doesn't have a pulpit. She doesn't have a church. She doesn't have a microphone or a podcast. She just got an Uber car. Yes, in yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Right. Come on. And she's spreading the gospel. Makes the gospel tangible. Verse 45, it said, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. My, my subline to making the gospel tangible is the fact that your testimony is what makes Jesus famous. Come on. Didn't nobody know who the boy was from Galilee until he started going around making blind people see, making dead people climb out of graves, and somebody was running around town. So it, it said in this, right, this one man went and shared a testimony, and so many people came to Jesus, they couldn't fit in the town anymore. He had to go, like, out into the desert to have a concert. Right. right, like you know how an event gets so big you can't hold it in the community no more. Like so many people were coming to Jesus, he had to go out to a desolate place 
just to be able to speak to him from one testimony. One testimony. One man saying, this is how I was broken and this is the miraculous thing that Jesus did for me. And it changed an entire town. Amen. When God does miraculous things in your life, they are not to make you stand out. Or to make you important. Come on. But we often grab hold of the attention and never point others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think, of, especially in our world now, right, social media and all of this other stuff, I'm like, if something, that happened, if like, when things happen like that to people now, right, like, the leper could have claimed to have a mysterious recovery and said it was the power of the universe, he could have said it was karma or good luck, or he could have developed a self-help guide for being delivered from leprosy. It made millions of dollars. It was like, this is my before and after picture, click this link now, sponsored advertisement on Facebook, make it millions. Get rich quick. Right? He could have sold a miracle cloth to wash away leprosy, right? Instead, could have sold some miracle leprosy water. Get on a commercial with Peter Popoff at 2 o'clock in the morning on BET. I said it. Savage truth. See that I'll be traveling out of town because I don't have cable at home. Like, we, you know, we're an unplugged family. We got, you know, we watch TV now. I'm not Amish. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we have Netflix and Hulu and whatever, so I don't see commercials, right? So it's like, you know, I'm out, I'm out of town or whatever, I can't sleep, and I'm in the hotel, and it's just, you flip through them channels at 2 in the morning, I'm like, really, man? Like, this is where we at right now, we just, miracle prayer cloths and miracle water. But in that, right, and, and so, but let's be real, what you're saying is you're taking the power away from the gospel and the power away from Jesus and you condensed it into something that you can shit me. That's offensive to me. It's not funny. Amen. Right? But we laugh at it and just turn the channel. Somebody else yeah. is receiving that That's as if it's actually Jesus. Like, I need this cloth to talk to God. I need this water for my testimony to be effective. I need to prioritize my prayers with God. So let me figure out a way that I can, that I can you know, usurp the system and, and get in there in some kind of way, right? Like, how can I get to the front of Jesus' line? Right. And that's what people sell now, right? Everybody, that's what everybody wants to buy. Everybody wants to buy what the shortcut is. Right. But that's not the point. Like, if God did something miraculous to you, then you point people to him, not to how you got a miracle. Right. Right. Like we don't we don't try to package and market what Jesus did for us. You just say Jesus can do it for you, too. I don't know how he's going to do it for you because he's Jesus. But I know how he did it for me. So I can tell you my testimony and the impact of my testimony. And I can make the gospel tangible and say, this is how I received the good news. And this is how it transformed my heart. And this is how it transformed my mind. And this is how I'm walking with him. Right. So have your journey, have your experience, and then tell people your testimony and have that same impact. Right? Because the, the real question is, is Jesus getting credit for your healing, for your glory? Is Jesus getting credit for your victories? Is Jesus getting credit for your success or your marriage or your health? Or are you getting credit? Is your pastor getting credit? Is your favorite book getting credit? Is your favorite podcast or sermon getting credit? Or is Jesus getting credit? James chapter 1, verse 16 to 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
Romans 11, 29 to 32 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For all my King James folk, they would say, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Going into verse 30, it says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. The love of God for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus made him allow them to suffer so that the testimony of their suffering and their deliverance would compel others to follow him. We don't like to think that our inconvenience, our pain, our brokenness, our experiences, us being abandoned by our fathers, us being abused by our mothers, us being in these situations is something that's actually supposed to give God glory. So we try to pick and choose out of our story what we think is attractive and what we should share. When you do not know the power of your testimony. We don't understand the power of the transformative, right? The transformative power of the gospel. What it changed in me, what it changed in my heart, like what it really touched that had to deal with every broken part of me. We only like to talk about the brokenness that's attractive or normal or common. But we don't just tell our testimony. We don't just share our stories. We don't just talk about the things that hurt us and what God saved us from. Amen. Right? We just, we, we, it's powerful. It's extremely powerful. Yes. And I think we miss it. But I married the woman who cheated on me oh. when wow. we were in college. Mm -hmm. So we got engaged in high school. <laughs> she cheated on me. <laughs> and then we got back together. Okay. We dated for 30 days and I asked her to marry me. My marriage testifies to God's forgiveness. I wasn't saved when we dated in high school. But when we got married, I was. And so my processing it was like, who am I to not forgive? Right? Like, that was like four years ago. Right? You were young. You were immature, and honestly, I expected it to happen. Because her mom was real tight on the rain, so I'm like, I know when she go to college, she's going to get buck wild. Because I just grew up in a different environment. I could do anything I wanted to do in my house, right? I grew up in a very tumultuous environment. Like, I was the first time I got drunk, I think I was 10 years old and, like, passed out, probably had alcohol poisoning, and that was under the, that was under the supervision and with the permission of my parents or my mom and my stepdad. Um, so it's it's completely different environment. Like I could go and come as I please when I was in high school. Like I had to I had to I had to bring a parent with me to pick up my girlfriend, and her mom would still say no. Like I would bring my mother to go pick her up. She's like, nope, she can't go to breakfast with y'all. So even me proposing and having that reflection and going back looking at my own story, I only proposed because I knew I was gonna lose you. Right? That's why I proposed. I didn't propose because I was 17 years old and ready to be married. That wasn't it. But I'm like, if she leaves, I know she's going to go. So in my mind, right, trying to control the situation yeah. instead of letting God do what he needed to do. Right. But when it came back and we connected and I was in boot camp and I almost died. And when I woke up, the oh first God. thing I saw in my mind was her face. And I hadn't talked to her in three years. Right. So I'm like, I need, to, I need to reach out to her. I need to call her. And when I did, it just hit me. And I'm like, that's who I need to marry. So like I said, we, we were dating for like a month. And I called her and I said, so when we get married? 
Yeah. She was like, well, I haven't seen you in like four years. I was like, okay, so when you see me, when we get married. <laughs> and we got married a month later. That was on November 19th. My anniversary is December 29th. Right? But even being able to have a mentality to forgive testifies to God's glory. God's glory. So a part of the testimony of my marriage has to be the fact that I forgave my wife. But a lot of people would leave that out because it just seems awkward and weird. But you'd be surprised how many people we know that have been married and divorced and remarried that have been with somebody that, you know, it, we try to undermine and we try to understand what God does. Not under, like God is omniscient. He's all knowing. That means everything he's done for you, everything that's happened to you can be put in the context of the gospel, can be used to give him glory. But we're withholding it. So we have the ingredients to start a fire. Come on. But we're not applying the heat. Come on. Come on. You got the fuel. Come on. You got oxygen. But you're just breathing all the time. Come on. Right? Your testimony is the igniting spark. Like your testimony can be the one thing that says, man, like I've been thinking about this for years and it's been on my mind and it's been on my heart. And what you just shared with that just today, that small thing was confirmation to me that I need to do this or I need to do that or I need to move forward. But we underestimate it because we think something has to be this big explosion revival. Each one of you don't need to be Billy Graham for the gospel to move forward. Come on now. Come on, preach. My career, they mentioned I'm a vice president of customer care. The only reason I have my career is because I almost died. So when I was in boot camp, I ran, you know, I was running the final, what they call PFT. I passed out. Woke up two days later, strapped down at the VA hospital in Great Lakes, um, in Great Lakes, Illinois, with seven doctors standing around me, looking at me, wondering why I was still alive. When I was running, for some reason, my muscle tissue started to break down and then did not reabsorb back into my body. So my body was filling up with particles of my own blood to the point where my blood got so thick, my entire body shut down. So when the paramedics got there, my kidneys had stopped, my heart had stopped. They said I had renal failure, they had, I had cardiac, like they, I just, my body just stopped. And then when I woke up, they had tested my blood and they said there's so much muscle tissue in your blood. They said when we walked in the room, we expected your, lung, your legs to be gone. I'm like, what do you mean? They said the only time we've ever seen it that high was when someone actually steps on an IED and it blows their legs off and all of that shock sends, the, sends all of those cells back into their body. They said, we literally didn't expect you to have legs. But here I stand. But that illness led to me getting kicked out of the Navy. After they told me, oh, you're good enough to stay in the Navy, and then I went to work, and a week later they were like, never mind, you have 30 days to get out. <laughs> My daughter was four months old, right, was newly married, trying to take care of my family, you know, had committed to eight years in the military, so ain't no better job security than that. Brothers like, you know, you get a job, unless I, unless I kill somebody, I got a job for eight years, so we good, right. we don't have to worry about it. And I go to work, and they're like, you got 30 days to get another job. So mind you, I'm still recovering. I still pass out if I have to do too much physical activity. Like I still had, at the time, I had 16 different physicians. Still trying to figure out why it happened. No one still doesn't know why it happened. So everybody still, so I had 16 doctors at the time. I got a scar on my leg from getting a muscle biopsy because they studied the muscles at MUSC at some special clinic to see if they could figure out. No one knew why, and I still got kicked out. No diagnosis, no treatment, no plan to improve, no nothing, just go find another job. 
And so I'm trying to get work, you know, I got two bachelor's degrees, you know, I'm the top of my class, I know electronics and nuclear engineering, I don't know what to do. And it's like, I just need a job, I gotta take care of my family because we made the commitment that my wife would stay home when my daughter was born. And I'm going to keep my word to my family. So know, regardless of right. how it feels or how painful it is, I'm going right. to work. All right. Right. So I go get a job. You know, I go, I look, and then I wound up getting a job as a technician at a company called Swiss Log. And I got that job as a technician. We moved up to Philadelphia, which is why I live in Delaware. I'm not from there. Um, but I moved into that position, got a job as a technician, working in the field. My hands are locking up. I had to learn how to screw and unscrew things with my left hand because my muscles are still atrophied. My muscles got problems. Like I'm laying on the floor doing work because my legs are locking up and my muscles are. And no one who worked with me knew that because I worked by myself, right? So I would work 12 or 18 hours straight. I would leave work, go to the emergency room, then go back to work. But nobody knew that, but God did. And then I got promoted to be a manager. And then I got promoted to be a director. Then I got promoted to be the vice president. And then I was another vice president. So. The brokenness, yeah. the sickness, Come on. the pain, the fatigue, the test, everything else led to where I am now. Amen. Right? So when I talk about my job, I have to talk about Jesus. Yes. Come on. Because I give him credit for where I am. My career testifies to God's obedience. My health testifies to God's glory. My ministry testifies to God's sovereignty. Right? I went to college, atheist. Grew up around Christians. Christians made me not like Jesus. Christians made me not like God. Right? I went to, I went to Pentecostal churches. I went to Baptist churches. I watched deacons try to hit on my grandmother. I watched people, right? I watched, pa I knew pastors who sold drugs and were literally pimps. But would stand in the pulpit on Sunday. I knew murderers who did well. I knew pastors who had less integrity than most of the drug dealers that I was around. So it got me to the point when I was 14 or 15 years old. I said, if this is God, I don't want no parts of it. Like God can't be in this. So I'm going to just, I'm going to just step away from this. I'm going to leave that to those people. And I just felt like it was something for weak minded people. I'm like, I don't see what these churches are doing to you. You don't see these people praying on you. We over here in the hood. Nobody got more than $12 in their pocket, but the pastor. Everybody else walking to the church and he oh he get a new Cadillac every year on Pastor's anniversary. Like I was really looking at him. I'm like, this can't be God. Like even the God that you're talking about, it doesn't correlate. So both of y'all lying. Not just gonna do it. But that same girl that I was dating in high school, I had no intention of going to college. Right? I, I was I was a survivor. I was a hustler. So I, and you know it's funny. I watched all of my family members hustle illegally. And I'm like, y'all dumb, because y'all keep getting arrested. Like, this, this, this don't make no sense. So I was like, I'm a hustle, but I'm a hustle legally. So I found legal ways to make money since I was like seven to eight years old. It wasn't all the way legal. Right. My first business started because I stole some stuff and then sold it, but then I took the profit and reinvested. So I didn't have to keep stealing. Right? I ain't got no seed money. I repented. Um... I was eight, you know, you gotta, you gotta survive. But that was my mentality when I was, when I was, like, when I was in high school and graduating, right? I just didn't want to be poor no more, right? I grew, I grew up poor, I grew up broke, and I'm like, look, I'm smart enough to make money, so that's my goal. Like, I'm just gonna make money. I'm not gonna be broke. I'm not gonna be sitting around here struggling, worrying about paying my rent, worrying about what I'm gonna eat, right? So like, that's what I'm gonna focus on. But the girl that I was dating was like, well, I'm going to college, and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to go to college, and we were living in North Carolina at the time. I'm not from here, so I was like, you know what? I'll go to college as well. 
what? And I had already graduated. I'm a year older than her, so I graduated the year before. So like after I, I graduated from high school, I was like at the bottom of my class, had never taken the SAT, had never taken the ACT, had never taken it, because by the time I was in the 11th grade, I was at my 13th school. That's how much we moved. So I never talked to a guidance counselor in my entire life in school, because I was never in school long enough. When you got to that period when it's time to talk about what you want to do, new school. And the other school did it the first half of the year. This school did it the second. So like everywhere you went, it was just like, like strategically in God's plan. I had no guidance my entire life to land in a position with a relationship that I was in with a young girl who was Christian, whose family was Christian. She wanted to go to North Carolina A&T, HBCU in Greensboro. And I was like, well, whatever, I'll go to, you know, if I can get in. <laughs> So I apply with my horrible high school GPA, right? And then I, I take the SAT and get a good score. And they let me in, but they didn't let her in. She had a higher GPA. She did extracurricular activities. She was in the band. Right now I look back, I'm like, Jesus, you really be on, boy, I tell you, like Jesus be navigating some stuff. Cause how does somebody with like better markings than me not get into the school than I do? So she wound up going to school in Virginia. I went to North Carolina A&T. Wound up in the dorm room, started having problems with my knees, couldn't barely walk, and then I started getting friends around me who were Christian. One of them who's here right now that I call my brother, Quentin. Amen. And they made me go to church one day. They were like, you struggling, you know, is this, this pastor supposed to be coming, you know, he praying, he gonna be praying for healing, and we basically tired of lugging you around this building because your knees hurt, so you come. Now, most of my friends were larger than me and on the football team, so I can't really argue. Um, so, but I went to I went to church and I'm and I'm you know and I'm in the back you know and I'm skeptical of all of this touch people and they pass out Benny Hand wave a coat kind of stuff. I'm just like I can't I can't rock with this and they're like no go up there and pray. So the man's praying for people as he goes down the, as he goes down the, the lane, and before he even gets to me, I fall to my knees and I just heard God say, Why are you persecuting me? Nobody was talking to me. He wasn't even there yet. And I couldn't move. I was just on my knees with tears coming down my face. And then the man came over there and he prayed for me. I don't know what he said. I could not hear him. It was just like, why are you, why are you have a problem with me? Why are you persecuting me? Like, I've kept you this whole time. Like, all those times you were shot at when you were a kid and you weren't dead. Like, this is stuff that I didn't hear it, but I'm just running through in my head. Like, I had, I had really bad asthma when I was a kid. I stopped breathing on more than three occasions for longer than five minutes. And it never affected me. Like, I would get to the hospital, and they're like, well, we guess he's dead. And I would just wake up and be like, can I get some Sprite? Like, <laughs> and they would keep me in the hospital for like a week under observation. They were like, we don't understand. Like, he has to have brain damage. Something has to be wrong. But like, he can't be fine. It's not possible. That's happened to me at least three times. But I didn't understand. Exactly. Jesus, I didn't know that at the time. Nobody put it in that context. But all of that started running through my head when I was there in tears. Just started running down my face. And I was like, Jesus, why? All of this time, you knew I was going to get to the point where I would forsake you and say you didn't exist, but you still kept me. You still had all those bullets come up. And like, I don't deserve that. And that man walked past me and I stood up and like, it was weird. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. And I went back to my room, to my dorm room, and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I jumped out of my bed. And then I was like going down the stairs to go to class. And then I realized, I'm like... I'm walking down the stairs. I'm like, I just ran down some stairs. Like, how the heck did I get like, I used, it was a whole process. Anybody who got bad joints, it's a process, right? Like you gotta work, you gotta warm it up. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta give it a little bit of a rub. You gotta bend it, you gotta do the pre-bands. 
You gotta do all of them. Then you gotta do the weight bearing activities once you get your weight on your knee. You're like, all right, let's are we gonna buckle today? Are we good? I just jumped out of the bed and it didn't even it didn't even dawn on me. And it's crazy. I had my backpack about to go to about to go to class, and I said, you know, but again, I'm stubborn, and Jesus knows that. So I said, okay, my knee's fine. Well, let's see how fine they are. So I threw my stuff down, went and put on basketball clothes, and went and played basketball for eight hours. Actually, longer than that. I played basketball from like eight or nine o'clock in the morning to like nine, ten o'clock. I played basketball for like twelve hours straight, all day Thursday. Then came back, woke up, woke up Friday morning, did the same thing, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then on Sunday, I was the first one. I was like, hey, we. We, hey, we getting on the bus. It's time to go to church. Yeah. <laughs> they all like, no, man, I'm good. You better get up. Like, we're going to church. I know that's for real. I know we can sit here. And some of the stuff I say might be going in your ear. It might not. It might be going out of your ear, right? My, your mind and your flesh is arguing with your spirit right now. And it's telling you it's not that simple. Right, it's not just that simple that I can have a greater impact for the gospel if I just share what Jesus has done for me. Well, it's not that simple that if I go out and I really wear my faith on my sleeve and I show people that I'm a Christian, that that will have an impact and it can move the kingdom forward. Yes, come on. But you'd be wrong, <coughs> just like I was <laughs> for so many years. If you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity did not spread like wildfire because of church services. Church services and churches became a necessity when people witnessed the gospel in action. Right? You had to build a church after the Christians already existed. Like, I, we missed that. Like, people received the gospel, responded to the gospel. That man that got cleansed, that leper, that wound up making Jesus so famous in that town, right? Jesus was speaking and five and ten thousand people were coming. Once you left that community, it wasn't no church there. That's right. They needed a church. Yes. Yes. So the testimony, the witness, the way that people's lives were transformed in those communities is what actually drove the necessity for the church to be there. But like we've gotten into this position now where we're just consumers of Christianity and we don't participate anymore. Come on. Right? Because the building is already there. So I assume that the building is supposed to be doing something to bringing people in it. No, you're supposed to be doing something to make people want to follow Jesus. It's not your pastor's job. The pastor's job is to equip. That's right. Right? Is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. That is the pastor's job. It's not the pastor's job to come and talk to to your neighbor. It is your job to love your neighbor like God commanded and for them to see that love and for them to wonder what that love is and how tangible it is and how real it is and how unconditional it is and make them want to come to your church. Because it's the individual people. It's the individual people. When they saw a persecutor give Jesus praise, they became Christian. Yes. Yes. When they were like, weren't you, like, aren't you Saul? Weren't you burning Christians and yeah. boiling them in oil like yeah. the other day? And now you're telling me Jesus is king. The testimony that he had for who he was as a persecutor yes. is what gave his testimony almost more power than most of the disciples. Yeah. That's why he wrote half of the New Testament. Because right. yeah. right. they were talking to Jews. He was talking to anybody. Like, yeah, I didn't yeah. like Jews. I thought Jesus was crazy. That's why I relate to Paul so much. Because um, I thought Jesus, I, I kind of still think Christians are crazy. But we'll, 
get to that point later. Um, Jesus in a miraculous way where he had to break me down and show me who I was. So I'm not going to tell you you're going to meet Jesus in some cute moment because that's not how I met him. I don't know how you're going to meet him. I know how I met him so I can tell you what to expect from my perspective. But Jesus is going to speak to you and who he knows you are because he knows everything about you. Right when you were stitched together in your mother's womb, he knows the count of every hair on your head. He knows how to speak to you. You just got to be in a position to listen. But you are that spark. You are the thing that they've been waiting for just to get the tickle in their ear. Like, he was that spark. Just that friend that would invite me to church. I had pastors in my family that didn't invite me to church. But some random dude who I met in a floor that wasn't even really living for Jesus at the time invited me to church. And I got saved. Right. And now we've been back and forth over the years. And then when he falls, I'm trying to help him up. When I fall, yeah. he's trying to help yeah. me up. And we yeah. continue to remember because we know where we came from. Yeah. We know what we brought each other through. And so yeah. our testimonies continue to still yeah. empower. Right. And encourage each other today. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. But we're afraid to share it. Mm. We just we just want to copy and paste. We just want to make cute posts that sound enlightening, wow. that sound real, but we don't actually open ourselves up to people and make the gospel tangible. The kingdom of God has always grown from irrational, unexpected, public displays of faith and conversion that drive other people to ask what they must do to be saved. So my question is, how do we get back to that? How do we get back to our very our very lives being the plate upon which we offer people the gospel. Not bagged and packaged over there, like I want to point you to a shelf that has Jesus on it so you can go over there, but opening our hearts, opening our souls, exposing our brokenness, exposing our flaws, and putting it on a plate and says Jesus loves me anyway, and he can love you. Right. And being willing to explain the chips and the cracks and the blemishes that are in the plate that we are. Yes. Right. I think a lot of times we're afraid that we make the gospel less attractive. That we are afraid that like, okay, I'm still broken. I'm still working through some things. I'm not perfect. So so I can't position the gospel the right way. So I'm going to just try to get you close enough. And then I'm going to hand you off to my pastor and I'm going to have you talk to this person that I know. But like the pastors are few and far between. We can't talk to everybody. Right. right, like, and that's not the way the church is supposed to be structured. Amen. Amen. You need to be the spark. If you have oxygen in your lungs, if you have breath in your body, if you can just simply say what Jesus has done for you, if you can simply convey in a tangible way that you feel the love of Christ in your life, yes. then you can be the light that somebody needs. Yes, yes. Right, we always talk about being a salt. Being, a, being salt amongst the earth. We always talk about being a light and not hiding our light. But a lot of times, we like in the church, we direct that to our gifts. So it's like, well, if you can sing, girl, make sure you sing for Jesus. Right. <laughs> right? If you can play the piano, make sure you play the piano for Jesus. That's how we try to categorize our light. That's not. Yes. You are the light. Come on. Right. That's right. Everything you do. How you treat your waitress, how you treat your Uber driver, how you act at work, how you raise your children, how you behave in public. It's a light. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it should have people saying, 
What must I do to be saved? Yes. yes. Like in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this drama, like they continue to have peace in the middle of having health problems, in the middle of having marital problems, in the middle of having financial problems, they still have peace. The calm that you possess in the midst of the war that is life makes people want to know what it is about your life. We like results. People love, you know, people love budget tips. People love interview tips. People love all of these things that they feel like are shortcuts. But when your life is an expression of the gospel, when people come to you and they want to ask you a question about why are you so peaceful? How did your marriage recover? How did you deal with your son being addicted? How did you deal with your mother dying? How did you deal with your own illness? The answer to every single one of those questions, if you believe in Christ, should be Jesus. That's right. That's right. It is that simple. It really is that simple. We try to overcomplicate things because it just seems more intelligent. It seems more articulate. I know a lot of words. I read a lot of books. But me telling people I love Jesus is the most effective method of communication I can think of. That's right. And it's all we really need. Continue. You got to get in your word. You got to understand the Bible. You got to be able to stand up against the enemy. Most, you know, like we, you don't read the Bible so you can walk around regurgitating everybody. You read the Bible so if you step into a church and they preach a false doctrine, you know to tell other people they need to leave. Right? So you can rightly point people to where they need to go to church and, and, and stay away from false doctrine. Like Jesus spoke in parables because he wanted people to get it. He kept it simple. We try to be too deep. And then because of the fact that being deep is what's promoted as being the way that we're Christian, like, then people avoid being simple. But I'm going to just tell you, be simple. Just testify to bring God glory. Just share your story. Share what he's brought you through. Share what he's working on in you. Share what you got out of reading his word. Share what's convicted you lately. Right? Like, out of the abundance of the, of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like, why are we, if, if Jesus is in your heart, why he don't come out your mouth? We try to figure out every other way to position it, to set it right. We try to hold them back. If Jesus is in your heart, he should come out of your mouth. That's right. So I thank everybody for the opportunity. I thank everybody for listening. I, I have a tendency, I end sermons on weird points, right? People always like, hold on, that's just, he done right there? Ah. They keep asking who I am. I just tell them I'm a Christian. Occupation, a description. I just tell them I'm a Christian. Nationality, ethnicity. I tell them I'm a Christian. Keep the hyphens in division. I just tell them I'm a Christian.